no kidding. I mean, honestly, volunteers are pretty awesome people. And like people who are into community service, when you get out on the trail and you're working with them as a crew, it's so much fun. Like we had eight people we're we're trading off working in different groups and, and there's always just a good conversation. And, you know, the focus is on doing good things for the forest. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a, it's to me a lot of fun and having like an inclusive and, you know, sharing that type of experience with people in the woods is um, kind of for me what it's all about. And yeah, you also get some good work done too. And, you know, helping out the trails and, you know, I think, you know, just spending a day in the woods is um, kind of a blessing in, in a ways. And if you can do it, you know, in a way that actually makes the trails better and, you know, creates a community spirit, I think that's uh, just all bonus. Correct. Like, like you said, you know, um, getting out there and Char- Charlie added this as well is just, you know, seeing the places that need improvement. Like I've always thought back, you know, back when I first started hiking that that Bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. I, and I tell people all the time, never underestimate the Catskills. They, you can't underestimate them. Why the Catskills is such a great place for trout. It is really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. So, guys, it's been it's been a crazy, uh, crazy week. I'm I'm down here actually in South Carolina. Oh wow, you traveling? Yeah. Huh? What are you doing down there? Staying at the beach and enjoying lowland life and just chilling like like I haven't in four years. So, sea <laughs> level slacker. Exactly. It was when we arrived here, it was a high of 59 and raining. So it was pretty, pretty scary. And then all of a sudden today it's, it was 83 and sunny. So we're good. Cool. Is the water warm enough to get in? Yes, definitely. It it says online that it's 77 degrees. So um, it doesn't feel like that, of course, when you first enter. Yeah. Well, summer's there for sure. If that's warm. Definitely. It feels so good. But um, so the other day, Friday, was the opening day of the Trailhead Stewards. Um, Matt, I know you've been a Trailhead Steward. Charlie, you, Charles, you're you're a volunteer anyway, so you might have some some crazy stories. Um, when I was a Trailhead Steward uh, at Slide one time, it was really crazy. This guy came in. It was really crappy weather, and we said hi to him. How are you doing? And he just said, hey, and then darted up the mountain. So we were like, okay. I'm like, he doesn't want to be bothered. He comes down. And he, when he opened the back of his trunk, it was, it was beeping. Like it was beep, beep, beep. And I'm like, ah, I only hear that. Like, and it like on, on like military vehicles or, you know, like high end maintenance vehicles with like high end security. And it was a big Denali and stuff like that. So he was, he was all, he was all cool. He comes over and sits down and chats with us. We come to find out he was a border patrol specialist and he just comes over and starts giving us stories about border patrol he brings over a uh, a shoe two shoes that the guys wear they're basically mops so they you don't see their footprints in the thing he's like what are these used for i'm like oh i use this on my florida mop it's it's mop he's like no this is for for people who go over the border and they don't want their tracks in the sand i'm like 
really. <laughs> and it was a, it was definitely a different, different kind of thing. He was up there and down there probably in like an hour and a half. It was crazy. Was he seeking out uh, illegal immigrants on top of Slide Mountain? Was that his purpose <laughs> for being there? <laughs> I don't know, but he was he was quiet when he first came in. He just kind of like waved his hand and he was up there. But he was down. He sat down. He pulled up his own chair and started chatting with us. And he just mm-hmm. kept chatting about, you know, he, like illegal immigrants over there and the Border Patrol. And it was very crazy stories. That's kind of interesting. That must must have made the time go quickly. Yeah, he was a cool dude, and we were like, you know, what are you what are you doing up in the Catskills? You're pretty far away from your your normal thing. And he's like, um, I had a friend up here who wanted to hike, but he never showed up. And he's just like, I just started doing my thing and went around the Catskills. And I was just like, good to good to see. It. And he had kind of a, a like a, a Russian accent to him. So I'm just like, mm. at, at first, I was like, this guy's a spy. He's doing military training. He's but yeah, which border is he patrolling? Uh, is yeah. he patrolling the uh, border of Russia and Alaska? <laughs> and he just got off. Uh, yeah, the border of Ulster County, I guess, uh, <laughs> from the city people. <laughs> so, so you know that idea about you know wearing those um, those mops on your feet that don't leave any footprints it sounds like a pretty good leave no trace idea. Maybe he was ahead of his time. He had some ideas like you know on the herd pass. If you just wore mops on your feet, maybe you wouldn't leave any <laughs> trace when you're going there. I don't know. <laughs> If only it were that easy, you know? And then you wouldn't have any grip on the, the high spots and then everybody would get injured. <laughs> well, I guess you, know, you got to make a sacrifice for nature, you know, leave the grip behind. If, if you can't handle it, then stay home. That's, that's the, uh, the thing. And no joke. I think honestly, that's the reason why the herd paths have advanced as quickly as they have. At least that's one of the theories I've heard. And, and that I tend to agree with that it's the, you know, the traction devices and all of these cool things that allow us to be out in the woods in every possible condition. So we're there in March and April and November when the, you know, the soil doesn't have any overgrowth on it and it's just bare and these traction devices are tearing it up and creating even more erosion than just regular boots would. And, you know, just all of those things combined certainly have, you know, a, uh, a combined effect that, that has reached a tipping point. And I think we're at that point where the trails are there. And now um, it's great that the DEC has focused on doing something about it. They've got a formal project in place. They're writing it into the unit management plans. They're reaching out and making connections with the community to try to get support for what they're doing. I think everybody wants it to go faster, but everybody also knows that you're dealing with Albany bureaucracy and things are going to move at the pace of uh, you oh, know yeah. budgets and other things that we we're not privy to, but ultimately we, we have to deal with. Yeah. Well, my, my understanding, and, and first of all, I don't speak for the New York, New Jersey trail conference. <clears throat> Anything I say is my my own opinion and understanding of the situation. But my understanding is that the, the DEC is contracting with a outside outfit that will do visitor a visitor use management plan for the informal trails. Mm. And that, that's going to be coming somewhere down the road, and we're just waiting to see what that actually will be. That's a that's a very that's very cool. That's very good to to hear about that because we all know the craziness that has gotten here in the Catskills and everywhere around the United States, especially. And now the Catskills, you know, a lot of these informal trails, aka herd paths, has been the easiest way to the top and it doesn't you know follow the good guidelines of switchbacks maybe or you know finding spots where the erosion won't go 
fast as fast as it should, you know, and that's that's the problem. You know, we got Hockett is just straight up right up there, and the erosion on there is horrible. The trail's horrible. Everybody hates it. Rusk the same way, and you know that's good visitor uh, units management that's happening down in Catterskill Clove. I'm very very curious to see what they come up with. This would be fantastic. Right, that's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, you just you were describing the herd paths, and and I kind of thought that you were just describing regular Catskill trails because they all pretty much just go straight up True. and are often yeah. eroded. Um, I think, you know, there's big areas made all the time, but that's kind of like a Northeastern thing. Like I think you see it in Vermont and in Massachusetts, even just the trails just go straight up. I mean, no, no monkeying around, just go for the summit and it's a scramble. It's, it's fun and you're exerting yourself. And, and so I think there's something to be said for those types of trails. If you can harden them and keep them from turning into a, you know, a complete mud pit or just an eroded, you know, pile of roots. But, you know, people like those steep challenging trails and, you know, the switchbacks are really good, but I don't think that's really necessarily what people are always looking for in a hiking experience. Um, so there's gotta be a balance. And I think, you know, the devil's path and the slide mountain area yeah. has some good ledges. Um, even blackhead black dome have some, you know, a little bit of scrambling there, but I don't know. I, I'd say more of that would be kind of cool. And, you know, I wonder, you know, Catterskill High Peak is one of the uh, the peaks. Charlie and I did a, a hike, kind of a scouting hike there, I don't know, a year or two ago with Andy Garrison. And we're looking for ways that you could possibly reroute the long path, maybe over Catterskill High Peak. Yeah. And, you know, that chute that goes up the eastern side of, of uh, uh, Catterskill High Peak is a really great trail i mean and right? it's in a wild forest you could probably put like a ladder or some you know some kind of aid there to make it you know um not quite so dangerous but still kind of a steep wild experience and i don't know that that would be a really cool way for the long path to kind of cap off you know one of the high peaks in the catskills yeah it's uh it's definitely uh weird that it just goes right below it because it doesn't have any in trail going up it so they can't really put a trail on there just yet i mean i think it would be great to bring that from the the southern side that would be fun that'd be nasty in the winter yeah. both of them yeah going yeah. up a hurricane ledge and then down the other side absolutely it's a nasty place in the winter yeah i would like to see some sort of comprehensive solution because the long path on Catterskill High Peak goes through Pine Plains with a like two mile long, extremely muddy segment that you could sometimes you could almost Ugh. dive in and swim it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Horrible spot. And yeah. um, so any way that we could avoid that and maybe also access the summit and have one route that people use so that they're not creating, you know, problems with reducing habitat for species and and uh, creating problems with erosion. That's what I'm interested in seeing. And again, that's just my opinion, but I hopefully they'll come up with something like that. But these opinions are the ones that are needed as the people that are well acquainted with the Catskills and know the Catskills inside and out like you guys do. And your volunteers in the Catskills that are creating, well, enhancing old trails into the kind of ways that it should be, that way it should have been really instead of just like like you know you said going straight up to the summit and sometimes or just going straight through this mud pit that's over in mary's glen you know like you guys have been working on exclusively for the past um three weeks I, i'm guessing right it's been three weeks right we worked there in april um so we we had done a project there last year by the campground road trailhead 
and uh, did about a hundred feet. It was before that. It was just a it was a pond with ducks swimming in it and frogs hopping about, and it was terrible. So uh, we we put a little drainage in and um, and put in stepping stones and crushed rock in, and and so we went back again this year in April and extended that and put in some more stepping stones. So that looks really good right now. Uh, we wanted to continue out towards the junction with the escarpment, which is also a very wet area, but um, the DC didn't think we should do that. And I think that Tahawas Trail Builders will actually be working there. Um, oh, interesting. Possibly. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to see what they do. Um, and the, the last month, we uh, we just completed a project, actually, again, on the, the long path that's south from Lane Street. We worked there last year. About a mile out, there was a, a wet spot that had, um, you know, kind of kind of flat, but uh, very poor drainage. So we put in some enhanced the drainage there and put in stepping stones and crush. And it looks I was just there today, like I was telling you before, um, and it looks great. It, and so we went back there again in May and went up a little bit farther where there was another uh, muddy spot and did the same thing there and it, it it's holding really well looks really nice awesome awesome and that's what we're going to talk about tonight uh catskills truck clue with you guys because you guys have been doing some amazing improvements uh in the catskills that are have been needed for a very long time and we'll definitely talk about some of those areas that you have been at but yeah that's that, a good discussion about look, this is going to have to go into a different episode because those uh the informal trails or the herd paths are definitely something to think about now because you know like matt and i talked about this once before it's just the the amount of herd paths that are showing up it's just really really odd that you're you know one way and then you see all of a sudden two or three going to the do like a y or a, a w and you're just like okay so where do i follow and then you follow one way and it's the wrong way and all of a sudden now you've created another path so big problem but yeah and that's the habitat destruction right there because like in between those two little trails a lot of animals just aren't going to go like you know bicknell's thrush is not going to nest right in between those two trails when people are walking on both of them it's just going to disturb it and that's why you really got to get that one corridor and you know you're never going to stop people from doing a little bit of bushwhacking but once you establish a formal trail on these mountains that's just where people are going to go you know slide mountain Occasionally people bushwhack to Slide Mountain, but like 99% of the people take one of the trails to get there, you know, and that's, that'll be the same with Catterskill High Peak and all the rest of them once, once they get that trail established. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like Catterskill High Peak has those two access points usually is from the east and from the south. And that's really it. Unless you're a, a really dedicated person, uh, like, like probably all of us, you know, want to go dissect that, go right up there or, or see some other play from round top or from the base of, uh, from the middle section of round top and Catterskill high peak. I mean, that's a fun, the Indian, the old Indian camp and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a big discussion. And, uh, hopefully, like you said, the, the visitor use management will come out. Like I'm looking forward to the Catterskill clove, uh, one, and I'm hoping to get them on here. I actually have been in contact with them. So I got to make some questions up for them just to see their, their whole idea of what's going to happen. I'm very, very curious of what, what they're thinking about this. Cause this is a tough section. I, I don't know, Matt, have you seen their, uh, their plans and stuff, their, their, their maps of where they have to do this? I did see a draft of this a little while ago. Yeah. 
it's it's really tight like i i mean they didn't include north south lake which is which is which is astonishing um well, because, well yeah but that's that's a um a state uh campground so i think that's yeah. a different part of the um the dec that manages that that land correct correct so like their their area the map that i saw was really tight so any means for parking transportation stuff like that is going to be really really difficult it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with well yeah i mean at a certain point um shuttles have been put out there as an option and uh, you know you know the finding a way to fund them and make them accessible um is i think possible right i mean we're a pretty wealthy state we got some tax dollars flowing in all sorts of directions and i don't see why we couldn't have some kind of a shuttle that ran up and down there as a service to the hiking community you know, might find some corporate sponsors to put their logo on the side of it and, you know, drive up and down, let everybody see how awesome they are for supporting the Catskills. So hopefully something like that can happen. Sounds like an opportunity for me. That's right. (laughs) Put your logo on the side of that thing. Exactly. Inside the line shuttle. There it is right there. Hell yeah. Right there. Right there. Awesome. Awesome. So Welcome to episode 78 of Inside the Line, the Catskill Mountains oh. podcast. Right? 78, right, Matt? Congratulations. That's, That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Matt was on episode 52 with me. I can I can remember that episode because it was a great chat about, you know, first of all, the Catskill Trails crew uh, at first, but then we also had a great discussion about the herd paths and uh, like we just did before with uh, you and Charles. Uh, so yeah, episode 78 tonight, we welcome Charles and Matt from the Catskill Trail Crew. They're going to talk about their awesome volunteering efforts that they've had in the Catskills, enhancing the trails of the Catskills that have been needed for such a long time. And, uh, we'll get deep into that, uh, later in the show. So welcome to the show guys. Thank you. And call me Charlie. Otherwise I'll call you Stanley. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called it, it's stash most of the time. And I, I'm just like, whatever, I can't, I can't deny that, but yeah. Also welcome Matt. Good to see you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. I'm glad to be here. And you got my name, right? You left out the, the half, the other half. Matthew is way too formal for me as well. <laughs> yes, definitely. Way too formal. So Charlie, thanks for joining. <laughs> thank you. Excellent. So thank you to the monthly subscribers, Darren White, Vicki Ferreira, John Kaniski, Alec Betancourt, Sarah Bacon, Jim C., Michael Bongner, David Mead, and Matt Smith. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Thank you, Matt, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, big thank you to Outdoor Chronicles Photography for being the sponsor of the show. Molly from Outdoor Chronicles Photography specializes in adventure elopement and adventure couple photography in the Catskills, Adirondacks, and White Mountains. Also, don't forget your pets. They're just as important. Matt can affiliate for that. Um, yeah, she's also- I want to elope with my dog and have a picture taken of it. <laughs> So it'd be awesome. It can all of her skills. She does stuff in the Catskills and it's phenomenal. She's so me. I've I posted one of the times her pictures on South North South Lake on um, you know, Artist Rocks and Sunset Rock and North Point. Stunning. So get them done, Matt. Trust me. That's great. That's a beautiful place too. I can't imagine those one of those photos you're just gonna remember for the rest of your life when you have it taken in one of those stunning locations like that. What's your dog's name again? Mia? Mia, yep. Yeah, I remember. I remember. So don't hesitate to get a hold of Molly on all platforms. Also, if you've ever wanted to heard, uh, learn more about hiking or backpacking, check up on Trailbound Project. Uh, they are a hiking backpacking school in New Jersey. Scott and Joe has amazing skills from the New Jersey search and rescue team. Um, top-notch stuff. I've never worked with 
uh, somebody as much talented and uh, professional as them, because Joe and, and Scott are amazing. They do some crazy stuff uh, throughout the years, so they know what they're doing. Check them out for uh, any new skills you want to learn or any old skills you want to brush up on. So Trailbound Project, check them out. Awesome stuff. That's pretty awesome. You know, I was a Boy Scout growing up, and like so I learned how to do all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And I kind of just took it for granted as I started doing it when I was older, like how all that worked, you know, I just kind of understood it because I learned about it. But you figure people didn't do that when they were a kid. They got to get somebody to teach them the basics and show them how it works. And you can watch a YouTube video and you can learn a little bit from that. But actually going out and hiking with somebody, showing them how to pack and like explaining the stuff one on one. It's pretty cool. So it's uh, I didn't realize that people were doing that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. they Those guys are awesome. Um, they do a lot of. Uh, teaching on bushwhacking and of course like uh self-survival skills of out in the, the wilderness if you get caught in a sticky situation because they are both professionals in that that selection of category i've worked with joe and scott when we've done some mock searches in new jersey and uh i i couldn't say like i joe is it's just phenomenal guy he knows in and out everything he's also of the mountain rescue unit of the northeast so he knows knobs and stuff like that repelling he's taught us one time taught our SAR group some stuff we did repelling with him scott knows in and outs of everything medical and bushwhacking and stuff like that so like you said it's hands-on with a bunch of other people is also very very fun too you get to learn you get to teach each other and you get to interact with other people too cool stuff so you guys having anything to drink tonight any alcoholic beverages i'm not drinking anything alcoholic i'm drinking a probiotic lemonade Wow, mm. which is pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if Ooh, you can see that. Nice. Yeah, I was drinking uh, cider from Adams. Does that count? <laughs> that does. That does definitely count. No alcohol in that. <laughs> that definitely counts. Whatever you have is drinking anything. I had some rum and some punch, some mango punch and stuff like that. We call it the rum punch, and it's for our time down here in South Carolina when we're on the beach. So, decided to have some of that. Nice. Also. Yeah, yeah. Also, thank you, Diane Weiss, for the five. Oh, excuse me. Thank you, Diane, for the five coffees you donated the other day. Uh, can't wait to hike with you. Looking forward to it. And thank you also for your volunteering and stuff. Um, also, thank you, Colleen and Lords, for donating to the longest day Alzheimer's Association uh, fundraiser that I'm doing for this year. On the 21st, I'll be hiking. I believe it's going to be Overlook Mountain for Sunset and hiking for Alzheimer's Association on the longest day. So. I have a bunch of people signed up, so hopefully we'll get something going for that. So, guys, you've been on any uh, previous hikes in the past couple of weeks you want to chat about? Charlie? Well, let's see. Yesterday, uh, my friend and I hiked from, um, you know, and most of the hikes I do lately are because I'm the uh, Long Path Catskills Trail Chair, so I've got to cover most of the eastern half of the Catskills and see what's going on. So uh, yesterday, a friend of mine and I hiked from uh, Peekamoose Road up to um, the Vernui Kill parking area. So that was that was a lot of fun. Actually, you know, you don't have fantastic views in that area, but the uh, Vernui Kill Falls is pretty amazing. There's like great swimming holes there. But I just I do enjoy that section. And uh, it's in it's in. A little overgrown at the moment, but in pretty good shape. That was a lot of fun. Nice. That that's how you I've never known that's how you say it. That how do you say it again? 
Bernoulli. That's how I say Bernoulli. it. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I always from the from the looks of it, it looks like Bernoulli. So, damn. Wow, upstate New Yorker doesn't know his own upstate area. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, your Dutch accent is completely unconvincing, Stash. <laughs> <laughs> I got to read up more. I got to read up more and get some stuff. I'm, I'm learning some stuff here and there. So, damn, Vernoy. Wow. Vernoy. Right? Yeah. I think the interesting thing about that is that that uh, trail, the long path is is going to, to go from somewhere near Lundy Road. This is the new project that everyone's been talking about. It's been a little delayed. But the uh, Tahawas Trail Builders will be building a uh, a connection from Lundy Road up to the falls. I think uh, that's where it's going. So that will take all of the long path off the road from that that segment. So that will be really cool. That'll be fantastic. There's uh, there's a lot of roadwalks for the long path, and I heard you guys are doing great work of getting that out of the way and getting that to a real path. So awesome. Thank you for your, your volunteer work. I really, we really appreciate it. So Matt, how about you, sir? Uh, mainly been doing hikes close to home and uh, did a hike up to the Beeb Hill fire tower yesterday, which Ooh, is nice. fire tower in my neighborhood, like only about 10 miles from my house. One of the few fire towers, not in the Catskills. So it's over in the Taconic mountains and it's got a couple of lean-tos nearby as well, which is kind of cool. So you can actually go out and do some tramping around on the trails, camp out, check out the fire tower. Got views of the Catskills, views of the Berkshires and that area. So, yeah, really nice out there. Matt, I think Matt was up in Maine recently, right? Oh. Oh, yeah, I did go up to Maine for the winter hikes. Yeah, I did a bunch of um, winter hikes up in Maine. Uh, bagged pretty much all of the high peaks uh, in couple of days up there so you know sugarloaf and and all the peaks around the uh the carabasset valley oh nice amazing yeah are you aren't you a 115er now i'm working on it slowly i'm working. gonna be a 67er pretty soon i've got three nice. more peaks in maine to do and that'll cap off my uh my northeast 67 i've been avoiding the adirondacks like the plague i <laughs> like i'm gonna have to get my 46 in order to get my 115 but that's pretty much the only reason why I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to do it in winter to avoid the crowds as much as I can. But it just seems to be one of those things where, um, you know, beautiful mountains, really challenging terrain. But you're not going to get like kind of wilderness solitude unless you go in the off season. So we'll see how it is. Um, bang it off in one winter, maybe. Maybe uh, just line them up, knock them down, just do a bunch of big trips up there and, and get them over with. Nice. And then I'll probably well, fall in love with the Adirondacks and then I'll just be my favorite thing in the world once I do it. Yeah. Look, make, uh, let me know because uh, I'm looking to knock off a couple more. I only have two on my list in the Adirondacks. So I'm looking to go up and, and knock some more off the list up there. Sounds good. Let's let's make it a plan and, and you know do the Great Range and some of the other big ones and just, you know, big marathon hikes and just get them all done. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I look forward to it. And this uh, this coming week, next week, I'm going up to the New Hampshire to do the Pemmy Gossett loop. So, oh wow, that's a really tough one. Are you? How long are you going to take to do that? Uh, three days, two nights. Are you staying in the huts along the way? Correct. The uh, the Giot one, and then the Green Leap, I believe it is the second day, second night. Yep, Gio. I think the Gio is the name of that one. Yeah, which is I think he was one of the um, the surveyors who who surveyed the uh, the East Coast. And what was the other one? The Greenleaf Hut. 
Yeah. Wow. That's that's, that's off the loop that goes down. I think it's like a half a mile off the loop. So that's another mile into the right. 30 miles, 10,000 feet of elevation gain. Which way are you going to do it? Are you going to do it clockwise or counterclockwise? Counter. We're going to go up to Bond, Bond Cliffs and stuff like that, and then finish out in Lafayette. Okay. Wow. That's unusual. Most people do it in the other direction. But I honestly, I think that's a good way to do it because that final like um, walk out along the old rail trail um, when you're coming out from Boncliff, it's like five miles of just like flat walking. I and heard. honestly, it's just, it's just brutal. It's just your legs. You know, you're better off just like, you know, getting all your elevation done and just being right back at the car as quickly as you can. I've, I've done that hike a couple of times and that, that last slow walk of shame as your, your legs are dead and, and you're still got to make it out to the car. And it's just one step after another, every step, the same exact as the last one. It's really kind of exhausting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. get above tree line is what I want to do. Are you doing a solo? No, I'm, I'm actually doing it with uh, a bunch of first responders. So a uh, wow. bunch of military vets. Uh, and I think one or two SAR first responders up in New Hampshire. So. Cool. So you got a pretty hardcore crew going up there. Definitely. I bought more gear, you know, better gear than what I had before. And uh, I think, I think I'm somewhat ready. I think I'm going to over, over pack, of course, like always, but. Uh, oh, don't, don't do it, man. Those 10 miles a day on that kind of terrain. If you're carrying a heavy pack, it'll absolutely brutalize you. And if you're staying in the huts, man, but you got everything pretty much there for you, right? You don't have to carry a lot of food. Mm-hmm. You don't have to carry any bedding, no tent. So it's really just, you know, change of clothes. And if you're if you're willing to put up with your own stink and you know, just bring some deodorant, you know, you can wear the same clothes. The time. <laughs> correct. Correct. I mean, the the one guy that's uh, helping us out with this from uh, West Mountain Guide Company, my friend is my friend Henry is, is you know, preparing us for kind of the worst and stuff like that. So, you know, you can never know what's going to happen up there above Treeline, of course. So. Hopefully it won't be too bad. It's true. But if you have a big crew, you can spread that survival gear out amongst everybody and not have to, you know, overpack, you know, that's, uh, that's fun, man. I, I envy yeah. your, uh, your, uh, ability to just get up there and do that. I don't know if my legs can handle that anymore. That is the question is, <laughs> is what I'm going to have. So we'll see. So you, you also volunteer once again i always encourage volunteering we have catskill trail crew here 3512 trailhead stewards the catskill mountain club the catskill visitors center anywhere you can volunteer is a great help to the catskills and to your local community whatever just volunteer let me know i'll 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 run your name on here and we'll get we'll get your name plastered onto my page because i support volunteering all over the place so um how about we how about we make it into a little catskill mountain history guys Sounds good. I'm all ears. All right. So I've been reading the the Catskill Mountain House by Ronald Van Zett, which was written written back in 1943. So this is some pretty cool stuff. I I read this the other day, and uh, this was a big change in the Catskills. It was because of the population. So one index of dramatic change in the Catskills, remarkable growth and distribution of the American population during the 1826-1876 period, which was the 50th and 100th anniversary of the American independence. The land of area in the United States more than doubled in total population than tripled. In 1830, it took two weeks to go from New York City to the frontier of the Mississippi. Two weeks to go to New York to Mississippi. Now in 1870, it only required four or five days 
Only three states could claim populations more than a million in 1830. By 1870, 15 states could make that claim. And in 1830, three of the largest cities were New York with 202,000, Philadelphia with 161, and Boston or in Baltimore with 80,000. By 1860, New York maintains its lead with more than a million. Philadelphia was second with more than a half a million, and Baltimore had 212,000. So mostly every state doubled, New York quadrupled. Um, at first glance, such statistics seem to suggest that the Catskill Mountains had lost their strategic relationship with the rest of the nation. At a second glance, however, soon corrects that impression. The great expansion of American territory westward, for instance, was not as important as it seemed to be uh, because it was accompanied by a startling development and a new and more rapid means of transportation. Thanks to the ingenious railroad, it took no more time to reach Pacific Coast in 1870 than it had to reach in the Mississippi in 1830. But of greater even significance was the way that distribution of population continued to favor the northeastern section part of America. In 1830, Pine Orchard, which is where the Catskill Mountain House is right now, Pine Orchard used to be the town of where the Catskill Mountain House, basically in the North South Lake area, um, was about 340 miles as the crow flies from the statistical center of American population. In 1870, in spite of opening the vast new territories and the tripling of the total population, Pine Orchard was still only about 536 miles from the center of population. American population, in other words, continued to be geological favorable to the development of the Catskills as the most accessible and therefore most popular resort in all of the United States. The second half of the 19th century, to be sure, saw the advent of other centers of recreation and fashionable resort areas like parts of the Adirondack, Berkshires, and the White Mountains began to develop at this time. People began to frequent such seaside resorts as Long Beach, New Jersey, Newport and Rhode Island, and, and Connecticut at that time, too. And an ominous note for the future fate of the Catskills was struck in 1889 when the first Flagger Hotel was built in Sagan, Augustine, Florida. In spite of all these developments, however, the supremacy of the Catskills as the nation's oldest and most popular vacation land was never effectively challenged until after the advent of the 20th century. Now, between the 50th and 100th anniversaries, uh, the Catskill Mountain had passed from pioneers' days of the Romantic era to what one commentator has called the gayest and grandest epoch of summer history, resort history in the Catskills, where hundreds had previously taken a slow paddle wheelers up the Hudson to the Catskill Landing and transferred to the lumbering coaches of Charles L. Beach for the three to four hour drive the port. Pine Orchard, thousands now bordered parlor cars in Philadelphia, New York, and found themselves in less than half the time in the booming resorts of Green, Ulster, and Delaware counties. As the cities of the East continue to proliferate in size and numbers, the idea of a summer vacation took hold more and more segments of the American population, passing from what was called as a mere social fad for fashion and the gratification of the risk to what was recognized as a habit had become a chronic and conformed among all classes. By 1904, the Catskills reached their highest pitch of development and fame. In 1870, it was estimated that not over 2,000 persons went to the mountains, 19,000 during the 1980s, and the figure had risen to 60 or 70,000 visitors annually by 1907, and it had attained the marvelous proportions of about 300,000 annually by a little after 1907. 
from a scenic wilderness, rough and remote, limited geography to the eastern escarpment of the mountains in the vicinity of pine orchards, dominated by the salterity, splendor of the Catskill Mountain House. The Catskills have become the end of a century, teeming with thousands of square miles of vacation lands of hotels, boarding houses, and rich summer homes. The refuge of affluent message of the killing age and the playing ground of the nation. And that's about it. Oops, sorry about that. that I didn't figured it ended right there but heck yeah so basically between that era of the 50th and 100th anniversaries we saw a decline but also a steady pace in the catskills because of the railroads it's interesting but when when i when i read about the catskills from that perspective it strikes me that that's an outsider's perspective of the catskills that it's a place to go on vacation to get away from something else right and I think, you know, as somebody who grew up in the Catskills, that's uh, that's not, I don't know. I don't know if I wouldn't call that the real Catskills, at least as I experience them. The Catskills are where people live and where they have their homes and where yeah. they raise their families and where they build and where they, you know, um, engage in their communities and build their communities. You know, this idea that there's just some place for people to roll in and stay in a hotel is, I think, a really um, superficial perspective of the Catskills. And it's one that I think dominates, um, you know, because it is a place where people go, you know, and, and I don't want to diminish that aspect of it, but, you know, when, when people come to visit, they do have to remember that they're in somebody else's home and that the Catskill park is not like a national park where you yeah. just go and it's rangers and bison and camping spots. It's like, you're, you're right next to somebody's house. And, you know, the decisions that are made in terms of managing the land and the Catskills really impact people's livelihoods, like what they can do with their land, what, you know, whether or not they can build something because, you know, the watershed might be damaged by the, the you know, the construction. So it's, it's very difficult for people who live in the Catskills to actually, you know, use their land as they see fit because of all the restrictions placed on them for conservation needs. And the tax, you know, burden is certainly no less within the park than it is in other parts of the state. So um, it's, it's um, in some ways, a double burden on the people who live there. They don't have all of the high paying jobs that some of the other areas have. And then they, you know, are subject to being, you know, treated as a, you know, somebody else's vacation land and then hosting, you know, throngs of of folks driving up uh, on the weekends. And, you know, while most people are great, you know, most of the tourists who visit the area are really, you know, they want to be in the mountains because they love that. You know, sometimes, though, you know, the crowds and the um, the competition for parking and all the other things that kind of come along with, you know, unmanaged um, tourism in, in the Catskills can can be a real strain on the communities. I think that's what you're seeing in Tannersville and, um, you know, why there are these, you know, plans being put together to somehow try to find that balance between, you know, the needs of, of serving up this great area to a whole nation and particularly the urban areas in New York, but also keeping that, you know, in mind that, you know, people need to get to work in the morning and, yeah. you know, emergency vehicles need to get where they're going. And, and, you know, when the crowds are blocking the roads and making it really impossible to get through that it is, it becomes a, a burden on the communities and there needs to be a way to let those communities thrive in, in spite of all that, you know, funnel some more money. I hope that, you know, the new plans for the Catskills and the millions of dollars that they're planning on bringing are focused on making these communities, you know, sustainable and, you know, bringing jobs and trying to turn them into the trail towns. I remember the um, the idea of trail towns that would connect sections of the long path 
was like a big thing that they were pushing and, and somehow like, you know, Phoenicia and Palinville could be like these destinations along the way yeah. that as you're hiking the long path through the Catskills, there'd be hostels and, you know, places where you could, you know, camp or, you know, charge your phone and, and, you know, get resupplies and all that kind of stuff. So I'd love for that to happen because then, you know, the tourists don't become a burden. They become a welcome part of the community and it's a, it's a give and take and you see you know in places like manassas in virginia along the appalachian trail how that's really worked out i yeah. think that was kind of the vision for the catskills create that kind of uh, energy the connecting the catskills with the long path going through yeah and like like you said with the the long path is like what they want to do with the appalachian trail is make this a connection of town to town to town to town get the people outside of those city places area and get them funneled into these these small towns and support those towns while they do their outdoor hiking adventures and appreciate these small towns and be like wow um these people depend on us really with the tourists but we also got to respect their land well yeah and it gives you an opportunity to slow down and and you know walk through it at at uh, the pace of uh you know a pedestrian rather than driving through the town and you know not seeing more than the gas station or whatever else you know when you're hiking or walking through and you stay there it's a whole other experience yeah i think that's part of the strategic plan of the trail conferences to to work on making it more hiker accessible with more opportunities uh for access points and lodging and you know that all of the support services that go with the long distance trail uh and that that's kind of we have people actually we have uh, long distance coordinators, a long distance coordinator now, Zach Cole, who's working uh, on that for both the Long Path and the Highlands Trails. So, uh, you know, look more to look forward to. Definitely looking forward to everything with the Long Path. Such big improvements over the years, and I, I'm I'm excited for that. So, uh, hopefully, people. I've I've had a couple people here about the Long Path. I've tried to get Andy on here. He hasn't. He hasn't wanted to get on here. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna have to he's reach out to guy. him. He's, he's really busy. <laughs> that's the thing. Is that's that's what I've heard. He is an enormously busy guy. So, Stash, if you were go and act as a swamper on one of his Sawyer crews and bring a microphone, I bet you you could get a uh, interview with Andy. Yeah, you know, I I've thought about that. I've thought about bringing a microphone. It's just keeping it steady and not going. Like- like that, you know, everybody's going to hear that. It's going to, you know, but I've thought about that and having our, our conversations while we're out on the trail. Um, definitely a thought of mine. All right. So I'm going to, thanks for listening to the Catskill Mountain History. I really appreciate it, guys. Uh, like I said, I've been reading that book and right now I'm digging into, like, like I said, the railroad times of when they linked everything. You know, the Otis Railroad was linked up to the Stony Clove, like Del- Delaware Hudson stuff like that uh catterskill rail trail was being built well this catterskill railroad was being built so that hooked up to the stony clove railroad in delaware hudson it's just amazing stuff to see how crazy it was here and how not not crazy but how developed it, it became from being accessible by only horse and buggy to then all of a sudden these railroads coming in and bringing more and more people it was it was it's an it's amazing so yeah. But, and then the age of the automobile was not that far behind, you know, it was like the 1920s and 1930s where, you know, the U S routes and the New York state routes began plying the way up into the Catskills route 28, I think was uh, built in somewhere around the 1950s or so. Yeah. It's amazing. I can't wait to break into that stuff. So I'm going to go over some sponsors real quick. Uh, 
Anybody wants some new gears uh, for the Catskills? Uh, say no more. Camp Casker and Catskill and Tannersville has all your hiking needs from, I mean, spikes to snowshoes, moisture wicking shirts, memorabilia, t-shirts, hats, uh, anything you need for hiking. They have it. Also, check out their online website, Camp Catskill. Um, also, if you're ready to hit the trails, make sure you take the scenic route. Our route guides are here to help you with their goals, big or small. Check out Scenic Route Guiding and Gear Rentals on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Also, if you mention the podcast, you can get 10% off. Use the code Mountain Lion. All right. So let's get on to our guest of the night. Let's go. Matt Smith and Charlie Gadow from the Catskill Trail Crew. Now, Catskill Trail Crew is an organization volunteer organization that helps out parts of the trails in the catskills and they have done some phenomenal work in the past two to three years how long have you guys been around uh matt it's been it's been two years right this is our second year that's right correct yeah they have done some phenomenal work and this is not just cutting down trees here and there and then cutting off branches or stuff like that this is some really hardcore trail work moving rocks big rocks in the muddy areas getting those rocks formed so you can step on those rocks perfectly and stuff you know like charlie charlie said earlier moving some rubble stone into the the muddy areas so you're not creating some horrible mud pits um they have done some stuff around here and i'm i'm really glad to have them on the show tonight and i'm really glad that they're in the catskills because they are doing some vast improvements so welcome to the show guys thank you Thanks for having us, Stash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Charles, how about a little background about yourself real quick, and uh, then we'll follow with Matt. Sure. I was a pathologist. I retired in 2021, uh, moved up to the Hudson Valley in 2007, uh, also a trail runner. I started uh, a bunch of trail races, uh, two of them in the Catskills, Manitou's Revenge Ultra and 2013 and 2015 the cat's tail marathon in the fall so that'll be this will we missed um we missed 2020 so this is our 10th year for the manatee's revenge and our ninth year for cat's tail and i became involved as a uh, trail maintainer because i wanted to give back to the trails and then began recruiting maintainers because trail runners are frequently the best trail maintainers they care about the trails that they run on and they're you know pretty reliable in terms of getting out to get the work done as you know people from the escarpment trail run uh from dick vincent's escarpment trail run which i think is going to its 46th year this year wow uh, at the end of july a lot of those people who run that race also became trail maintainers and then i got more involved with the trail conference and um became got on their board and then became the long path trail chair and and then matt and i decided we would do something about the condition of the trails so we started the catskills trail crew matt's i've been working more on uh mud holes and (laughs) things like that and uh matt has been last year had the blowdown crew and uh, this year's got a roving trail crew, so he can tell you more about that. Charles, let's uh, let's let's hook up later for all your your uh, races races for here. That that would be awesome. Manitou's Revenge is crazy stuff. So we gotta get we gotta get on here again, and we'll have you on here again if you're interested. Okay, sure. 
So Matt, how about you, sir? Yeah. So uh, I got into trail work um, actually when I was working as an assistant forest ranger, we did a couple of days of trail work every week. And I was lucky enough to be able to work with folks from the Adirondack trail crew and the Appalachian mountain crew. And they, you know, really taught me a lot about how to do some of the basics in terms of grading trail, building stone steps and, and other structures. And after, you know, doing that for a while, I actually worked as a forest technician for the nature conservancy, doing some trail work with them, uh, forest uh, remediation, invasive species control, um, burning in the Albany pine bush, that type of stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Took a break from that type of work for a number of years. But as Charlie said, you know, trail running is one of the ways that you can get into doing trail work because a lot of the races that I ran required you to do at least one day of trail service. So to get into the race, you had to you know get somebody to sign off saying you did a day of volunteer trail work. So I started doing that in order to get into these various races. And I ran at least a couple of them every year. So I would get out and do a few days of trail work every year. And after doing that for a bunch of years, I ended up becoming a trail maintainer and, you know, adopting a section of trail like a lot of folks do. And, um, you know, going out a few times a year doing that. And I loved it so much that I decided to become a trail supervisor with the trail crew and, and work with a whole crew of volunteers to manage a section of trail. Um, I, I manage the connecting trails that trails that connect to the long path from Palinville to Phoenicia. Got a great crew of volunteers who spend a lot of hours every year maintaining their sections, you know, cutting and clipping and, and clearing the, the water bars and doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's through that experience that I realized that sometimes being an individual trail maintainer is pretty tough. Like there's just a lot to do. Even if you only have a mile of trail, if like that trail that falls behind a little bit, or if it's, you know, a lot of growth in one particular year, you can fall behind and it's tough to catch up. And sometimes you need a bigger crew to come in and help you out. Like if you can't get your buddies to come out, like that's where the trail crew can come in and help out those areas that are kind of growing in a little faster than the individual maintainers might be able to keep up with. Or maybe there's a lot of erosion on some of the steep sections, the water bars get clogged. And those, if you fall behind, you know, you got to get in there with a pickaxe and a shovel. And it's not the type of thing that, you know, an individual person can do it in, you know, just a couple of days a year. So those are the types of things that I've been focusing in on is really, you know, getting out, clipping out, cutting out and cleaning out the sections of trail and just supplementing that, you know, the standard maintenance of the open corridors. You know, the mud pits are Charlie's and Andy's, you know, passion. They, they are doing an amazing job. And I've worked with them last year doing some of those projects and, and slinging the, uh, the big rock. We, we did some improvements out on the Huckleberry Trail. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Huckleberry Point Trail last year. And it really helped a lot of those muddy areas. We could probably go back and do a couple more days there as well. I love that type of work. But this year, definitely focus on like a roving trail crew. Um, we got out last week um, on Saturday and we had eight people show up for a day of clipping out the um, the southern half of the Huckleberry Loop Trail, which is out um, just to the west of, of Drybrook Ridge. And it's an amazing section of trail, but it had not been maintained in years. It was tough to follow. The markings were kind of sparse. And, you know, it, it was so grown in that sometimes you just didn't know where the trail went. And interestingly enough, it took eight people five and a half hours to clear about two sections, sorry, two miles of trail. That section wow. 
would have taken an individual person like a month, you know, of weekends just going out there and trying to cut through that. There's just no way that that was going to happen. So that's the type of stuff we want to keep doing this year. So if people who listen to this podcast know about a section of trail that's just unloved and overgrown and just needs a little bit of TLC, let us know and we'll get out there and clean it out and make it like it was brand new again. And, and, you know, sometimes those are the trails that are like the secret gems because like they're not eroded, you know, they have soft footing, you know, there's like, there's actual dirt on the trails, not all rocky uh, because just people don't go there because it's so overgrown. But once you open it up, it, you know, it's, it's a beautiful soft trail. Like that section of the Huckleberry Brook trail, it's my new favorite trail. I mean, it's winding through like, you know, different, you know, plantations of pine and spruce and tamarack. It's got old stone walls running through there and, and old foundations. So it's really quite stunning and beautiful. And it's no steep climbs or scrambles, just kind of nice rambling, um, you know, with great camping spots. That loop, the Huckleberry Loop is about a 13 or 14 mile loop, which makes it kind of the perfect weekend camping trip, you know, nice. six, seven miles a day. So hopefully like once that thing is open and, and people learn about it, That'll become a popular destination and be, you know, maybe take some of the pressure off of, you know, some of the areas like, I don't know, the, the um, what are the other loop hikes in the Catskills? There's maybe only a couple other ones, the, uh, the Burroughs Trail, which yeah. has its own appeal and you can't really replace that. But, you know, people, I, I remember when I was a younger guy, I was looking for a backpack trip. To me, it was like the 15 mile loop trail is kind of the perfect weekend trip. And I think uh, when that trail was first built, you know, the Huckleberry um loop trail i think that was the idea is kind of create that destination trail for whatever reason it just didn't take off but i think now maybe with um the increased uh attention on doing things like the Caskills all trails challenge which gets people hiking on all of the trails definitely will get more attention out to that that beautiful section of trail nice. yeah, i just like to add that the trail conference just adopted that they always did the drybrook uh ridge trail but they just added the rest of that loop and uh, we're looking for maintainers for that area. Okay, excellent. Uh, definitely sign up for that. Definitely through the New Jersey, New York, New York, New Jersey Trail Conference. That's that's awesome. That place is a gem, definitely. Yeah, yeah and, and I should probably add that, that the Castile Trail crew is actually part of the trail conference. Yes. So we are Correct. part of the trail conference and, and we you know work with the volunteers and the administrators and volunteer coordinators to help with our work. So they've been a great support of everything we've done. So let, uh, let's get on with the Catskill Trail crew. Um, what made you guys want to come up with this? Charlie, how about you, sir? Well, I, I think that there always have always been some, you know, areas that the of the Catskills hiking experience that, you know, you, you're going through and you're like at the base of Indian Head and you see that it's a swamp and you're, you know, why can't this be better? And I think being in charge of, of uh, you know, of overseeing the maintainers in all of these areas, I kind of got to thinking, where are the problems area problem areas and what can we do? And Matt, you know, generally generously donated his time and experience and um and money <laughs> to to equipping us and helping us out to get to get us going and um you know leading projects and helping find other crew leaders. And I, I think it's you know a long term vision. Yeah, definitely. And it's and it's been two years and you guys have done some crazy work matt you want to add to that 
Yeah, I I mainly um, wanted to make the Quetzal's Trail Crew because I get so lonely when doing trail maintenance by myself that I wanted to get other people out there to have fun with me and and <laughs> make it a more social experience. And no kidding, I mean honestly, volunteers are pretty awesome people, and like people who are into community service. When you get out on the trail and you're working with them as a crew, it's so much fun. Like we had eight people, we're we're trading off, working in different groups, and and there's always just a good conversation. And you know, the focus is on doing good things for the forest. And I don't know, it's 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 a it's to me a lot of fun. And having like an inclusive and you know sharing that type of experience with people in the woods is um, kind of for me what it's all about. And yeah, you, know, you also get some good work done too. And you know, helping out the trails and you know. I think, you know, just spending a day in the woods is um, kind of a blessing in, in a ways. And if you can do it, you know, in a way that actually makes the trails better and, you know, creates a community spirit, I think that's uh, just all bonus. Correct. Like, like you said, you know, um, getting out there and Char- Charlie added this as well is just, you know, seeing the places that need improvement. Like I've always thought back, you know, back when I first started hiking is that the Indian had part is is really rough down there it's swampy it's you know all mud it can turn into mud instantly if a little bit of tiny bit of rainfall so you guys you know one of the problem places was that the mary glenn's trail and stuff around there you guys are focusing on the parts that are, are getting beat up uh exclusively you know and you can only do so much with with so certain amount of people you can't uh, like some people think that you guys could do like 12 to 15 miles in one day uh it's it's not possible so more people yeah maybe <laughs> but but you guys are doing some crazy awesome work so um let's talk about where, where have you guys done so far yeah we're just getting started this year so we've we've just had our first couple of projects and and there were the ones we were just talking about out on the the huckleberry loop trail so the first day we joined up with a bunch of trail supervisors um and worked on a little bit of the trail there clearing blowdowns and and brushing out that trail that hadn't been maintained in a number of years and then we went back again uh this past weekend and spent even more time clearing out that trail so I, my sense is we're probably going to be back out there a couple of more times this year you know we, we've got a good schedule together but um any of the dates are kind of up in the air we really want to focus on the areas where there's the most uh potential for impact so if there's a high impact area that you know needs to be cleared that's you know where we can divert our attention if there's a storm and a lot of blowdowns we can go there to help clear those and and open it up we we recently got some pretty cool antique saws that were donated to us by um, one of the new york new jersey trail conference uh, members one of them is a um, an antique two-person cross-cut saw like where you have a person on either side of the saw it's about six feet long And we're getting that reconditioned and the hope is to bring that out and to provide that kind of like traditional wilderness tool experience where you're, you know, using your body to, to cut through. Now, somebody with a chainsaw could probably do it faster. Um, And, you know, in many cases, the chainsaws come out and they get the work done, but there are some places where it's a little bit more difficult to get permits with the chainsaws and where maybe just bringing out, um, you know, the, the old fashioned manual saws for a couple oh, wow. of trees is, is the way to go. So in addition to that, we, we got these giant buck saws, which I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're basically um, like a big long saw with um, like two handles on one side. So you kind of like a regular saw with an extra handle on top. 
And so you can grab the saw with two hands and just really just get right into the sawing and, and, you know, put your whole body behind it. Um, in fact, if you go online, you can see, um, you know, videos of people using buck saws in, in uh, traditional uh, lumberjack competitions to cut through, um, you know, large blowdowns or large uh, logs. So we're hoping to give those a try this year to, you know, kind of create a fun and, you know, teamwork experience working on either side of the, uh, the crosscut saw. So that, in addition to the clipping, I think will help us open up some sections of trail that, that need to be cleared. Charlie, um, you said you previously worked on the, the Mary's Glen Trail, right? Yeah, last year we had about five or six projects that we completed. Um, as Matt was mentioning, we he worked on the uh, Huckleberry Point Trail. Um, we worked on the, um, on the long path south of Lane Street and also at Mary's Glen. And uh, we also worked in the Platte Clove Preserve doing some drainage. And um, so there, yeah, there was a, I don't know what I, what else am I missing? The Indian head spot, right? Yeah. The Indian head spot. We actually spent a fair amount of time. We didn't cut quite finish there. Uh, we still have one huge mud hole to work on there. So I don't know if we're going back again later this year. And, and this year we went back already to Mary's Glen and to the uh, area South of Lane street. And um, we may do our next project actually is in July. We're just going to be digging at the water bars on the Slide Mountain Trail, the really steep part um, that goes uh, north of um, on the Slide Wittenberg Cornell Slide Cornell Wittenberg Trail. Um, the water bars haven't been done at, dug out in decades. It's, oh wow! You know, yeah, so the water just pours down the trail, and then there's all these piles of loose rocks. I mean, you, I'm sure you've hiked it. It's a mess, and it, you've, you've, you're have trouble with your footing so we're just going to try and go out there uh for a couple two or three days hopefully maybe more if necessary and try and improve the hiking experience we'll have we'll be assisted by the um the trail conferences conservation corps they have a, a cat group of catskill trail stewards will be with us for a couple days and uh they they usually get to help us to get a lot of work done in a short period of time so and and that's actually part of uh, Matt's uh, roving trail crew will be part of that. So, and then the last project is going to be uh, maybe at the end of August, going for the area between Tor Trails End Road and Renui Hill Falls has some very wet aerials. Although I was there, like I said, I was <laughs> that was actually there yesterday, and it was so dry I couldn't even figure out where where the work has to be done so hopefully i'll have to go back there and see see what it looks like when it's wet again but it, it it's sometimes like a lake on that trail or a, or a running stream so you know hopefully we'll be able to figure that out yeah so charlie charlie um being involved with the with the the, the rougher stuff like that matt explained some of the stuff they have to do with the saws but with this like moving of the rocks and then the broken rocks that, that make the trail how how do you guys do that what is involved with the planning um, and you know we, we're not that sophisticated like the more advanced trail crews like the jolly rovers or the trail conferences long distance trail crew they all have grip hoists and they'll be flying rocks around and that that's that those that equipment is very expensive and requires a lot of skill to operate and um, most of our trail crew leaders don't feel comfortable with that. So we do things like 
we use a rope puller, which is, uh, you know, similar to a come along. So you can actually uh, pull fairly large rocks into place and then we just maneuver them, uh, you know, and, and and we have a lot of tools to, to dig out the areas. And one interesting thing that I learned in doing this is that Catskill rock is like, you know, bluestone. It's very fragile. You hit it with a four pound sledgehammer and it breaks into like 20 fragments. So uh, that's kind of a, a unique feature of the cat skills that's that's pretty uh makes it easier to help you know fill in those those muddy areas where you're digging out the mud so yeah i've, I've learned a lot i didn't come come to this with a lot of trail knowledge and i still have to find crew leaders but there are people in the area who've been you know building trails and, and repairing trails for decades so it's been a fun experience for me yeah, that definitely loves, involves a lot of planning, though, uh, as well, yeah. as to where to put the rocks, where to put the, the crushed rock and stuff like that. Where is it going to flood the most? Um, I saw on the Mary's Glen Trail and the Huckleberry Point Trail the work you've guys done, and you could easily tell that that you guys have been there, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 I'm happy that that everybody's you know who's participated has done, found this to be fulfilling, enjoyable work, and. I, you know, everyone seems to have a great time, even though it's hard work, you know, and when they leave a project at the end, they're like, they feel fulfilled. I think it's really a really a good experience. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you really can see the effort when you're done with the work, you know, from blowdowns to clipping to building rock structures, no matter what it is, like you, you see the physical change that you've made on the trail and you can walk away feeling proud about that. Yeah, exactly. And you guys, like, I mean, I don't even do this with you, but I, I plan to sign up in the future. Um, but oh, wait, I have, the, I have the sign up page open right now, Stash. What date do you want to sign up for? I can put your name on the list right now. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta check it out. Let me see. Let me see. <laughs> I mean, I, I do want to uh, sign up with you guys because you know, I, I have my own a trail. I have uh, the Camel's Hump to Thomas Cole Trail. I mean, that's not. Right as yeah. diff it's it's crazy to get to and then that one part in the section of the lower part of camel's hump to thomas cole is a pain in the ass um but uh i have great joy in doing it i, I love doing it and doing this sort of stuff where you're doing a whole different maintenance where you're getting nitty and gritty you're getting muddy and stuff like that you're but you're also with a bunch of awesome people that do it I just, I just want to do that. I gotta, I gotta get some open dates available. I gotta, I, the only dates I have available are Sundays and Tuesdays, unfortunately. Well, Sundays, uh, we might have some trips that we can uh, move around for your benefit, Stash. So we'll keep that in mind. Yeah, we do work Sundays, so you know, there's always that possibility. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So the the planning on this, like, what? How do you guys like focus on? Do you, do you notice like the, the big hardcore areas that need it first, or is it kind of like what we can do with the group we have first? Like what involves the planning with this? Sure. Well, I think to some extent, I mean, I working as a trail supervisor, I'm getting reports from all the volunteers in my area. I'm walking all the trails in that area. So I'm seeing firsthand and hearing about where the problems are all the time. And, and what we do is we report these up to the DEC and we let them know where the problem areas are. We let them know what we might want to do about them. And then in some cases, 
you know, that fits into their plans and, you know, they give us permission to work on various projects. Um, that's for any kind of the construction work. When it comes to the clipping and the, um, you know, the blowdown work, that's really just word of mouth and, and getting out on the trail. So it's like, you know, you know where there's problems areas, people have identified them, they're communicating them to the trail conference, they're, they're posting them up on the Catskills trail conditions. And so we look at those areas and we kind of pick those as the uh, spots where we're going to focus our efforts. Yeah, actually, uh, there's actually an um, application process. So, you know, for these bigger projects, I have to write everything up and provide the location and what tools I'm using, how, what's that, you know, how many crew I need. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's and then provide maps and three photos for any drainage. It's, it's kind of complicated. Um, and, you know, there was a, a few projects, like I mentioned, the Mary's Glen Trail, not all of that. What I wanted to do was approved. I wanted to work on Geiger Point, which uh, on the Devil's Path, which I think uh, you, you both know about is one of the oh. bumpiest, muddiest areas. In yeah, the worst mud pit in the Catskills. Yep. Yeah, and that, but that was not approved. So, uh, you know, I'm still working on that. Uh, but that's that's a big one. Do you know why that wasn't approved, Charlie? Was there a particular uh, reason? Yeah, the forester has wants to look at it again. Okay, so it's not necessarily disapproved, just maybe in a holding. Right. holding, yeah. Like everything else, right? <laughs> well, you know, she has some legitimate concerns. And also the, the Tahawas uh, trail crew is, is going around the Catskills addressing a lot of the same things that uh, – you know, we're concerned about, um, like last year, Pat, uh, Matt and I suggested that there was a problem at Orchard Point at the very top. You you, you always had that uh, steep rock that you had to climb to get up there. Mm -hmm. And there there was a workaround that people were using, and we suggested that we would like to work on that. And then the next thing we knew, Tahawas had come in and built a, a path up to the top. So... Uh, you know, they that was kind of kind of a, a good feeling that, you know, the DEC actually listened to something that we, you know, they were probably thinking of it, too, to be honest. But, you know, that we if we somehow could influence the decision making process, that was of what would be addressed in, in terms of the professional trail crews. We thought that was pretty cool, too. And that's like 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 you said, it, it, it's not easy work uh most of the time it's not like you just go there and and done you're done you you everything gets approved it has to be approved you can't just go in there and do your own work and be like hey look at what we did and they're like well that's not the way it should have been done so the maintenance that's actually in the treadway that's part of the our our visitor service agreement for the trail conference yes that's not that just about always gets approved it's not a big issue like the work yeah. we're going to do, digging uh, out water bars and moving loose stones off the trail. That's nothing big. That's not a big deal for the DEC. So we got that approved pretty easily. Sweet. Right. I, I got 15 work days approved with nothing but an email to two foresters because I'm not doing any construction. So that's one of the reasons why I chose to do a, um, a roving trail crew this year and focus on that is because I work in the pharmaceutical industry and I am besieged by regulations on every side all day <laughs> long. And when I do volunteer work, it is the last thing I want to do is paperwork and bureaucracy and any of that. So I you know, think Charlie's doing a great job writing up his 
um, you know, his projects and getting approvals for him. It is a lot. I mean, that takes a ton of time to do all that planning, to go out, to take the photo. So it isn't just having a good idea. You have to like basically run it like a project manager at like the, the highest level. I mean, you have to, you know, everything short of a budget is you have to show exactly how it's going to be done, what the outcomes are going to be, because ultimately some forester is signing their career onto like a volunteer's idea, right? Because like they're ultimately responsible for that forest. Like we, we, you know, think of it as our own because we're the taxpayers and we're getting out and doing the work, but somebody's job is to maintain that forest. And those foresters are great. And they, um, they do need sometimes to work for their bosses and justify what they're doing. And sometimes they need that extra proof and that extra paperwork to make it happen. But ultimately we've got great support from the DEC for what we're trying to do and look forward to, you know, working with them more and passing on the good ideas to Taos and those other trail crews who might be out there as well. Cause if, if the work gets done and the forest community benefits from it, well then that's the best outcome that anybody can ask for. Exactly. Chain, chain reaction. You know, you guys, might have like 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 you said charlie you had an idea over there and it got done so it's a chain reaction that could make our trails better and that's what we want here we don't want just one crew to do it you know one little thing every year we have a bunch of crews to do it like what you guys are doing it it's it benefits in every way that's awesome phenomenal i love it you know me i love the volunteer organization so uh question how can we sign up we got online pages correct Absolutely. If you go to sign up genius and look for cat skills trail crew, we've got the next 13 dates that we've got planned for this year posted there. You can sign up. We've got people signed up for next Friday. We've got four people signed up already. We're going up on plateau. We're going to clean water bars. We're going to clean brush. We're going to just make that trail as good as it can possibly be. Nice. Nice. We, we also advertise, uh, you know, what we do on the, uh, we have a Catskills Trail Crew Facebook page. We advertise on Catskills Trail Conditions. Uh, and the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference has volunteer sign-up opportunities all the time. So it's listed there. And then I we have a list of some 90 people who've, you know, joined our email list. So whenever I'm doing anything, I email them. And uh, Matt has the same list, so he's contacting people. So we get the word out. Good. And that's what I'm trying to do on here. I'm trying to get the word out of you guys and get you guys some some more help. And hopefully I'll be able to help this sometime this year as well. Did we mention patches? We have patches. We give out patches for doing work, which if you like patches, you can come and get them from the Catskill Trail. Crew. They're beautiful. They're black and they red are. and gold, and they look pretty sweet. And you only got to show up twice to get a patch. So the first time you show up, you get a sticker, you throw it on your car. Everybody knows you're part of the Catskill Trail crew. Come back second time, you get your patch. And then after that, you probably get a T-shirt or a bandana or a hat or the other stuff that we have in our little bag of goodies. So definitely worth your time to come out and you know show your community spirit be part of the crew yeah people yeah. really seem to like the stickers i have to say that <laughs> i love dude i love your logo the logo is fantastic and once again i'm gonna make this like a little thing it's like patches 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 <laughs> anybody loves patches like that that's just and once again two days out of your your, your freaking 365 days you have in a year is nothing is absolutely nothing so it doesn't matter with the catskill trail crews of the new york new jersey trail conference just volunteer and and sign up but i i 
suggest you sign up for the Kratzkill Trail Crew because it sounds like this is an amazing experience and a fun experience and a hands-on experience. Um, that and apparently is, it's really addictive because people keep coming back again and again. Um, it's we're really we getting want. a lot of return visitors who are just committed and they see the you know the benefit of their work and and they're getting the good feedback. So um, if you come out once, you may not be able to stop. So just give it a try. <laughs> Rock on. I love it. So one last thing I ask everybody this, Matt, I know you've given me one before, but Charlie, how about if you ever had that, like a crazy time in the Catskills where, you know, I wouldn't say you didn't think you would make it, but you've had some crazy experience that like on the verge of being like, man, this is, this could be deadly or, you know, something might happen. Yeah. You know, I, I, I go to the Catskills to not have those kinds of experiences. (laughs) I just enjoy the views, and you know, I, I was I know I saw that you had mentioned you would be asking me this before, but I I have to see that, say that you know the craziest uh, time with that I've had is hiking down the west side of Sugarloaf in winter when it's just a sheet of ice and it kind of hanging on to whatever I could to just keep from flying off the trail and and breaking some part of my anatomy. Yeah, I, I've I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm not don't enjoy uh, that <laughs> going down the west side of uh, Sugarloaf in winter. I'm not sure I'm going to do that again because in in recent years we've had a lot more ice than snow. I mean, as you know, yeah, it's just you know even with good traction devices, it's still pretty scary. Yeah, and that west side of Sugarloaf and the east side of Plateau is no joke scariest place i had that on one of my episodes is probably the most difficult and challenging hikes in the catskills are in that of course devil's path but the west side is no joke of sugarloaf winter i like you said charlie i i try to avoid that stuff because i don't want to be another person on the news and i don't want to have that problem of perhaps dying in the winter because of hypothermia and stuff like that matt how about you sir well, another one of the uh, difficult things that can happen in the winter is getting caught in a spruce trap. And that happened to me one time. Uh, I was up uh, climbing Southwest Hunter. This is back in the 1990s. Um, and it was I was doing a night hike in the winter to uh, Southwest Hunter, Trellis Peak. I was trying to be as extreme as I could get. And I got what I was asking for because I got up there and this was before there was any kind of a herd path on Southwest Hunter. So I'm kind of making my way through the spruces and suddenly I just fell down. Like I dropped like four or five feet down into this well of a spruce tree. And like, you know, I'm like, you know, neck deep in the snow. And I'm like, at first I was kind of a little bit amused, like, Oh, isn't this funny? And I hadn't really heard about spruce traps. I wasn't experienced with them. So I really didn't know what to do. And I, you know, tried to get back up up on top of the snow, but it kept collapsing. And like, it took me, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes of just thrashing around and eventually trying to like make a ramp essentially to kind of climb out of the hole that I had fallen into. Um, But the snow was so unstable. It just, you know, took me that long to consolidate it and make some kind of a, a passable way. But the whole time I was like, thrashing through spruce branches getting all caught my snowshoes were getting tangled and my poles were all caught up and it was like if you know that amusement quickly turned to like a sense of panic where you know like am i going to be stuck in here is my headlamp going to run out am i going to like freeze to death in this hole in the middle of the woods in the night 
And I don't know if you saw it, but there was a video recently of some guy who found a snowboarder who had flipped upside down in a oh, tree yeah. well. And like, just thinking about that guy who was laying there, like, you know what he can't do anything. He's upside down in a tree. Well, like with his legs attached to a snowboard. So there's nothing he can do. It was like terrifying, like that kind of thing. And you know, so lucky that that guy found him. Um, I didn't have a chance of anybody finding me. So I eventually made a way out myself, but yeah, that was a good lesson. You know, just not traveling solo in the winter at night in the middle of the, you know, forest where nobody knows where you are. So pretty, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, so we're winding down on the 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 show. So one last thing, post hike bruise and bites. Uh, where do you suggest to go to eat after you have been hiking or doing some volunteer trail work in the Catskills? Charlie, how about you, sir? Oh, West Kill Brewery for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Everybody loves that spot. And now they have food, which is even better. Like before, you know, five 10 years ago, they didn't have food. They had like a food truck, maybe if you got lucky, but, and they had but like uh, pretzels. <laughs> I mean, that's not good enough, but yes. How about you, Matt? I'm old school. I want to get a Stewart's milkshake after I go hiking. Just give me a big chocolate milkshake from Stewart's and I'm totally happy. Nice. Nice. Phenomenal. Well, guys, uh, thank you for joining the show. Um, I also want to thank everyone who has donated. Really appreciate it. Thank my sponsors of the show. Thank my monthly supporters, Matt. I thank you very much for supporting the show. Thank you for believing in me. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for you guys. I appreciate it. And Charlie, Matt, thank you for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to working in the future with you guys. Cool. Great. Look forward to seeing you out there. Thanks, Dash. Right. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, everybody sign up for Catskill Trail Crew, New Jersey, New York Trail Conference, whatever. Volunteer for the freaking Catskills. Get your ass out there. Help out these trails. So, guys, have a great night, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dash. All right. Great show. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking memes, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you just keep on living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Wicked, 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 wicked. Wait.